have you ever looked for something and you weren't able to find it even though you knew it was there? Anybody? All right, so at this point, most guys will raise our hands, okay? Uh, like this, I have a special gift, okay? I have a knack for this. You know, I will, I'll be looking for something. I genuinely feel like I'm looking. I know it's there, but I cannot find it. I ask my wife, hey, Beth, come here and look. She's like, it's right here. Did you even look? Yes, I looked. You know, I wouldn't have asked you if I didn't look. And, and so enter all the man jokes here. I get it, you know. Uh, my mom would say, uh, if it were a snake, it would have bit you, you know, um, but my favorite is when people are looking for their glasses and they're on their head. Have you ever done that? Nobody? You're liars. Sherry? Okay. A couple of you. Yeah. But it's funny to see people do that. Um, like they're looking everywhere for their glasses and, and they're, they're right there just inches away from where you need them, but you, you cannot find them. Now, True story, I had a professor in college who um, couldn't find her reading glasses anywhere, and she knew that she brought some to class that day. In fact, she, she knew she brought two pair, couldn't find them anywhere. Both pair were on her head, okay? And so we're having a good old time, you know, in class until someone has to ruin all the fun, you know? They're on your head. Uh, um, there's always that person, right? Uh, there are times when... When we've missed something that's been right in front of our face, and uh, you know we weren't the first to do that, we're not, we won't be the last to do it. And today we're going to look at um, some scriptures, uh, a scripture where uh, people missed something pretty important. Um, and yes, it was right in front of their face. Okay, so uh, today we're wrapping up our series, Long Story Short, where we've been um, spending nine weeks looking at some of Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Luke. And, and what we've learned, what, what I've been reminded and challenged by is that these parables are incredible. Um, they're these metaphors that Jesus uses to teach us truths about the kingdom of God. If you want to know what God's will is, you want to know how to live under God's will then like these parables teach us and they challenge our hearts and mind and our soul and our, 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 our physical bodies, how we live for him. And, and so if you've missed any of these messages, I just want to remind you, we record all these messages. You can find them um, online, cfisforlovers.info, or if you're into Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, we're on there as well. You search CF is for Lovers, okay? So uh, it's one thing to not be able to find the glasses that are on your head. But there are some much more important things that we can miss too. You know, uh, I think it's safe to say that in our world, people are looking for something. Would you agree? Like people are, I mean, look around you. Like we're looking, we're looking for something. Your family, the, our culture, uh, we're look, people are looking for something. People are more connected than in any time in history via technology, Right? I mean, it's amazing, but people have never been more isolated. How does that work? People are more aware of the events going on in the world more than ever before. And guess what? People are more angry <laughs> more than ever before. People have more money and resources than ever before, and yet people have never been less content and they constantly are in pursuit of more. Uh, people are, have more access to information and education and, 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 and knowledge than ever before. But that doesn't really bring the happiness, you know, 
that they're longing for. So people are struggling along life, and people are looking, 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 trying to find it, and, and money and stuff, and technology, and education, and knowing, and uh, news, and events, and, and all these other things. But it's safe to say that people are still looking. People are still looking. So today we're going to be looking at people that seemingly had everything together, okay? From the outside looking in, these people had everything together, and, but they missed what mattered most, and it was right in front of them the whole time, like literally. And, uh, and it was right in front of them. So the context of, of this parable, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 20 uh, uh, today, and we're going to be looking at this final parable uh, for the series and at this point, Jesus is out doing his thing. He's teaching, but he had uh, frequent run-ins with the religious leaders, the teachers of the, their law, the, the Pharisees, and these religious folks, right? And so they were questioning Jesus' authority. They were questioning that. By, by whose authority do you do these things? And, and by doing so, they were questioning Jesus' identity, Okay, by the religious folks. And so because of that, Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 20. So here we go in verse 9. It says, he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. He rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they, could, so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him, sent him, on the way, sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, so round two, and then that one uh, also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But, then, but when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. They said, let's kill him, and, and the inheritance will be ours. And so they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now that, that escalated quickly, didn't it? When will the, uh, uh, when, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Okay, so, so Jesus does what he does a lot, okay? He tells a parable, the story, this metaphor built on everyday imagery. This is something that they would all have been familiar with as an agricultural society. They knew farming and, and uh, vineyards were certainly a, a common thing uh, back then. And, and so it wouldn't have been uncommon for a landowner to purchase land and, and uh, uh, plant and um, prepare a vineyard and lease it out to tenant farmers. And uh, then they would grow the crop, sell it, and then you know, they would owe a percentage to the landowner. Uh, we're familiar with how that works, right? And so were they. And so as we've been talking about a bunch over the past couple months with these parables, that the main characters often stand for something. Like the main characters, they, they represent something that, uh, that's important to the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. And so, because this parable has more characters than most, I'm going to spend a little more time on these characters, but I want to go through each of these because it's essential to us understanding the lesson that Jesus is teaching. The first character is actually not a person at all. It's the vineyard, okay? And so it's all going to be up here if you want. Take a picture of it. Uh, the vineyard represents Israel. Israel, like the, the people, the nation of Israel, it's not a person at all, it's, it's, a, it's a people, and this vineyard um, represents 
this nation. Now, the religious people would have caught this instantly. The people that Jesus was saying this to, they would have caught this instantly because throughout their scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, a vineyard was a common metaphor for God's people, for, for Israel. And so the vineyard represents Israel as God's chosen people, uh, uh, which he was going to um, use to make himself known and, uh, to the world and to bless the world. So that's the first character. The second character is the vineyard owner, okay? That's the person in charge, which in a lot of parables, that's often refer- references to God, Okay? It's not shocking. It's what we would expect. He's in charge of all this, so he owns it. So uh, the vineyard owner represents God. Then you have the tenant farmers, okay? The, the, uh, this represents the religious leaders. So the people that, that were questioning Jesus' authority and his identity, so Jesus bust into this parable. This represents those people that he's talking to. So these religious leaders were grilling Jesus. And, and so here, an earshot of these guys, uh, he's telling this parable really about them. And then you had the, the owner's servants that he sends. He sends three rounds of servants, okay? And um, this represents the prophets, okay? The prophets. And uh, throughout the Old Testament period, God was sending messengers to his people Israel, uh, and and most of the time, uh, they weren't like foretelling crazy events. They were just calling people back to God, calling people back uh, to repentance on behalf of God. And God keeps sending these servants over and over, and guess what? They are rejected, mistreated. Um, And so the vineyard owner then ups the game, right? And he sends who? His son, which represents Jesus, okay? The owner's son represents Jesus. In fact, this parable, um, in this parable, Jesus said that the vineyard owner says, I will send my son whom I love. Does that sound familiar? If you if uh, know your way around the scriptures a little bit, it'll sound familiar because it's the exact same wording that is used two other times in the Gospels. Does anybody know when? Where? All right, at the baptism of Jesus. All right, Jesus is baptized by his crazy eccentric prophet cousin, right, John the Baptist. He's baptized, and when he's baptized, uh, a, a dove ascends, uh, representing the Holy Spirit, and the voice of God says, this is my son whom I love, right? And then there's another time. Anybody? transfiguration all right jesus is an important part in jesus ministry where he's up in his game he takes a few of his disciples up on a mountain and and there uh he they have this uh transcendent like experience seeing jesus for who he really is a glimpse of who he really is not just the skin and bones jesus and and uh and same thing god speaks audibly this is my son whom i love and so we have the owner's son now, at this point, when you go back and look at the Old Testament, okay, that's the part of the Scriptures. Two-thirds of our Bible is Old Testament. That's all before Jesus uh, comes on the scene uh, physically. And so God is building this nation. God, God creates humanity. Uh, mankind does what they do, what we do. We rebel against God. And so God is pursuing His people, and He, he creates this nation, Israel, in which He chooses to bless the whole world through. 
This covenant people, you know, he has this relationship with them. This covenant people would be different from the world around them. Like they're not going to look like all the other nations around them. They're going to exist for God's glory. They're, they're going to look different. They're going to act different. They're going to trust God uh, different. And even though he showed them how they were to live by giving them their laws, by giving them the scriptures, by giving them the prophets, uh, people are going to do what they do, and they're going to reject God. And so God sent prophets, his messengers, and their task was to call people back to repentance. And guess what? They were ridiculed. <laughs> they were mistreated. They were in fear for their very lives, much like those servants, right? That They were mistreated and kicked out. But the world was still in need of something. Like there was something needed much more than just a messenger, and, and there was still something missing. And so the Scripture says when the timing was just right, that God sends someone else, his son, his one and only son, whom he loves, into the world. It's Jesus. And listen, that was the ultimate revelation that God was giving us. Like, if we could just say, like, who is God? Like, what does he want? Like, we can look at Jesus, the picture of Jesus, and, and, and see that this is who God is, and this is what he wants. And, 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 and guess what we did? We, we crucified him. Like we, we executed him. The most brutal form of execution, that by hanging him to the cross, and he was mocked and ridiculed before many, held up like a billboard before the masses. And see, the majority, the majority of the people, they, they missed Jesus, even though he was right in front of their face. You know, have you ever looked for your glasses and... You've been that person, top of your head, and that's what these Jewish leaders did. You know, they studied their scriptures. They, 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 knew, they knew their Bible. They knew it, and they, they memorized large chunks of it. They, they, um, they studied it, and people like the regular folks like us would go to those guys and ask them the Bible questions, and, and they would tell us, and, and they, they studied, and um, they, they pointed uh, all these scriptures about this Messiah, this future, this future person that was going to come and free Israel. And, and, um, and then when he came, they missed him because he didn't fit in the box that they had built, that they had constructed for him to fit in. And so they missed him. Now, the Jewish leaders understood what this parable was about. And we know that they knew because in verse 15, it says, uh, Jesus says, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? You know, they kicked out the servants and killed his son. What's the owner going to do? Verse 16 says, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said, God forbid. So like the vineyard would be given to others? Like, that is a, moving away from God's people, Israel, and opening up to the Gentiles where the kingdom of God was, gonna, uh, was going to move uh, beyond just their nation. And, and that's, what we see, that's what we see playing out in the story of God and the movement of the church. Now, now the Jews were stunned. These religious leaders, they liked being the ones. 
They liked, they loved being the chosen ones, the ones in the know, the ones who were better than all the rest. Now, the Jews weren't shunned from God's family, nor are they, but now it's much more than just through Israel. Now uh, God's kingdom, God's family is open to everyone through Jesus. In verse 17, Jesus looked at them directly and asked, is verse 17, then what is the meaning of that which is written? And then he quotes from the Scriptures, Old Testament Scriptures from Psalm 118. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. So the Jewish leaders, they understood. They, they were hearing loud and clear what Jesus was saying, what this parable about. They knew that Jesus was, man, he was grilling them right there in front of everybody. But they still missed the most important part of it. That is, what do we do with Jesus? So Jesus says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What is this cornerstone? Well, in construction back then, a cornerstone would be the first stone that the rest of the building would be, uh, would be aligned off of. It would bear the weight that would, uh, of, of the adjoining walls, and it literally determines the path of the whole entire structure. And so the Jews, particularly the religious leaders, they missed Jesus. And they rejected him, and, and, this, and Jesus is saying they will be judged. Because Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the foundation, I'm the cornerstone. Everything else is going to be built on top and around me, uh, this cornerstone, this whole kingdom of God, and you have missed it. You missed it. Now, the priests and the scribes, the religious folks, they saw themselves in this parable. Here's the crazy part. Now, check this. They knew it was about them. Okay, they knew and they weren't fans of Jesus because of that. But, but here's, the, here's the mind-blowing part. Instead of repenting, they literally tried to fulfill the parable by trying to kill Jesus. I mean, didn't Jesus just say that? So they only listened to part of the parable. They, 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 they literally were trying to destroy Jesus, but at this point they were afraid of the people. And so the, what's the long story short? Every week, I try to give a long story short. That way, we can kind of summarize it and uh, kind of as concisely as possible. And, and here's my long story short for you guys this morning. If you work hard to find God and miss Jesus, you miss God. All right? If you work hard to find God and miss Jesus, then you missed him. Because that's how God reveals himself to us, is through this person of Jesus. So I want to I give us two things to consider today. One deals with Jesus, all right? The other one deals with us, all right? And uh, see how this uh, works out for us and applies to us. The first one is this, that Jesus is saying some pretty big things, okay? The first one is that Jesus is the unique son, the son of God, S-O-N, that as you look at the parable, he's not a servant, okay? He's not one of the servants. He's not even the beloved servant, not the servant whom he loves. Who is he? He's the son. 
He's the son that, he lo- that the, that the uh, vineyard owner loves. And, and so what he's saying is like, he's, I've sent servants, I've sent these prophets and these other leaders, but this is somebody that's completely different. This is someone like different category. It's not like, it's not like another of the same. No, this is completely different. This is my son. This is a piece of me. He's not a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not uh, just a good man. He is, he's a part of me. He is God in the flesh. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. That's, that's all, the, all, all godness is, is, is in Jesus. And, and so, therefore, all these ideas that are floating around about Jesus, you know, um, that he was a, a prophet or a good teacher or a good man or just a religious leader or some uh, eccentric from Nazareth, uh, the scriptures give us this picture that God, that Jesus was so much more. He was God incarnate in the flesh. He was the unique son. And the vineyard owner sends him Man, sends them, and they missed them right in front of their face. They saw them, they talked to them, they hated them, they even killed them, and they, they missed them. The second th- uh, thing I want us to consider is this, and this is what deals with you, okay? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? I think this parable prompts one of the most important questions that we can ever ask, and that is, what are we going to do with Jesus? Like Now, the religious folks, okay, going back to who Jesus was talking to, the religious folks, they knew the answers. It's important for us to know that because sometimes we think we know all the answers, don't they? They, they studied the Scriptures. They got to the point where they, they, uh, they were were living better and cleaner lives than all the other people so they could look down at everyone else and judge everyone who didn't have it all together as nicely as they did. Why? Because they are better. They were smarter. They knew God had chosen them, and they were filled with pride. A lot of times we think pride is one of those nice, neat little sins, but really I think pride might be one of the root sins. You know, if you look at every sin, you can probably uh, find a path back to pride. So here's the thing about religion in this sense, is anybody can struggle with religion when it comes to like us being prideful in ourselves and the things we do. You can actually be quite secular, you know, not even believing in God and still be religious in this sense, you know. You see it all the time, pride and, and contempt and, and uh, people being better and, and having the answers. Like, uh, uh, it's all a form of religion. And here, as we look at culture around us, we see that there's stuff that's missing. People are isolated. There's violence. People want more. There's, there's outrage, and there's this general unrest in our world where people are looking, looking, looking for something more, but they are missing it big time when it's right in front of their face. And that question still applies. What will we do with Jesus? See, God has sent what we needed most, and he, He's right here in front of our face. And it's what our world needs, it's what our church needs, it's what you need, it's what your family needs. 
Uh, there's this quote from this guy, C.S. Lewis, in the book Mere Christianity. It's pretty old, but it's a classic. And so uh, I love this quote. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying, uh, for anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, referring to Jesus. And that is, uh, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he, has, who, who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. So who is Jesus? I think C.S. Lewis is right. Our options are very few on who he is. Our prayer is that, we've, that we bow down, we call him Lord and God. Lord and God. Now, in Jesus' day, a lot of people missed him. A lot of the, the people who shouldn't have missed him, the religious leaders, the people who had studied, the people whose lives looked better than everyone else's, those are the people that missed him. So my challenge is, for us, church, is to don't miss him. Because he's here, he's all up in your face, you know, he's on your head. And, 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 and the question is, um, are, are we going to allow um, him to change our lives? Are we going to trust in him uh, as, as the way back to God? Are we going to trust in him for our salvation? Are we going to trust in him with, for our, our hopes and, and for our future and for our des deepest desires and longings and needs and wants and all everything in between? Um, and so that's the invitation is are we going to trust in him? Maybe you're here today and um, you're new to this Jesus stuff, and, or maybe you've been here for a long time and you've never really cared much about Jesus or, or put your trust in him. And, and that's an invitation that Jesus is always saying, hey, come to me and trust me. Like, stop trying to work it out on your own. You'll never be good enough. Stop trying, to, stop trying to fill it with other things that are only temporary and that are, are one day just going to perish. And, and he's saying, trust me. And when we trust him, we, we believe in him, we, are, we turn our hearts and our minds and our souls towards him. We're baptized into his name and we are following him as Lord of our life. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives. But maybe you've been here for a while or been in church and, and you've put your trust in Jesus and, and you've been doing this thing week in, week out, day in, day out for years. The question's still the same. Will you trust him? What are you going to do with Jesus? Because if you've already been there and done that, the question now is, is he the Lord of your life? You know, because you know what Lord means? It, it essentially means master. So that's the person that we're going to uh, be subservient to. It's the one who's in charge of us. It's the one that we bow to and we say, yes, sir. You know, like uh, we, we, we will do it. And so just because we believed and trusted him, have we allowed him to be the Lord of our life and to work in our lives and for our lives to be aligned uh, to his will? 
Or over time, have we just allowed the glasses to kind of lose themselves again? So I think it's the most important question we can ask. What are we going to do with Jesus? It's the most important question. And there's so many people around that are missing out. And man, we just want to point people towards something more. Not because we're perfect, not because we have all the answers, not because we're better. But man, we just found something that's worth, that's worth sharing.